So if you would, open with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 is where we are going to be this morning. I mean, even 2020 is an interesting year. 2020 is kind of uh, some strange days that, that we're living in. But God is in control. God, God is in control. You know, I know in the news this week, there was a lot of bad news, a lot of uh, bad numbers and bad reports. And we as Christians, we need to not focus on the bad news. We certainly should, I think, pay attention. We should know what's going on. We should be smart about our health and taking care of ourselves and our families. But... As Christians, we're carriers of the good news. There is good news, and that is that our God has defeated even death. And if God has defeated death, our God, we really don't have anything to be afraid of. So we could be smart without being afraid, right? We don't don't need to give in to the fear that is gripping so many people and so many people's hearts and so many people's lives. And you and I can share the hope that we have, the good news of Jesus Christ. So Acts chapter 11 today, that's where we are going to be. We're going to continue in our story through the book of Acts. And in our time in the book of Acts, what we've seen as we're going through week by week is that many of the themes, many of the stories, they're very familiar. They're, they're even almost similar to one another. The, the themes become somewhat repetitive as we go through the book of Acts. And it's because as the gospel spreads from community to community, the, the locations are different, the people are different, the names are different, but it's, it's the same story. It's God's story of redemption unfolding in life after life, community after community, family after family, city after city. And the truths and the principles that these stories show us, they are vital for us today. They're vital for us today because the book of Acts, it's not just the story of the history of the church. It's not just the the history book. The book of Acts is the playbook for the church. It's not just where we see the history. It's where we find out as the church what we're to be doing, how we're to be living, and especially in times like this. And so as as God moves in in people's lives and people's communities, what we're seeing is is that God is, is, is saving people. He's setting people free. The gospel is touching lives and changing lives. But God's not done with doing that kind of work. How many of you know that? You you and I are part of the church today. We're part of God's family today because God is still saving people today. He's still redeeming lives today. His, His work of redemption is not over. And you and I, as the church, we still have a vital part to play in the unfolding story of God and redemption And though there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts, the story of the church is still being written. And you and I are a part of that story. 
You and I are part of this long legacy and heritage of faith that dates all the way back to the stories that we're reading about today. You see, the church of Jesus Christ has been marching forward and moving on for 2,000 years. There's never been a break. There's never been a, a point where there weren't people who are part of God's church. You think about the last 2,000 years of world history, all of the, the nations that have risen and fallen, all of the kingdoms that have come and gone, all of the kings that have risen and been put in, into a grave, all of the leaders that have been voted in and, and voted out. But the church still stands because our leader is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He, he was not voted in, and he cannot be voted out. Rome is gone. The Roman Empire, the empire that's at, at work that we see in, in the texts of Scripture, that empire that ruled the world today is gone. It's dust. It, its greatest monuments are in ruins today. But the church of Jesus Christ marches forward. The church stands. Why? Because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. It's been given to him. And so you and I, as, as we read these stories, they're not just stories about what God did in the past. They're, they're, the principles are what God can do in our world today, in our lives today, in our communities today. So let's pray and let's jump into Acts chapter 11 today. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today. God, we are thankful that we are part of your family. We're part of your church. We're a part of your kingdom. Lord, help us to live faithfully as your people today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So verse 1, or chapter 11, verse 19, it says, now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except for Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. That's the Greek uh, vein of Jewish people. And also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So what Luke is doing, Luke who writes the book of Acts, he's telling the story of the history of the church. What he's doing right now is he's reminding us of the events that happened earlier in Acts, in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8 where Stephen was being persecuted for his faith in Christ. Stephen was witnessing for Christ. He was telling about the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He was preaching the gospel. And the enemies of Christ had come against Stephen, and they drug him out into the street, and they killed him in the street. He was martyred for his faith. And on that day, it says that a great persecution arose against the church, and a young man named Saul of Tarsus began to go door to door arresting Christians, putting them on trial and condemning them to death. The persecution in Jerusalem got so intense that the believers had to flee for their own lives. 
They had to pack up what little they could, and overnight they scattered into the countryside. Now here it tells us when that happened, some of the believers made their way up to this city called Antioch. Antioch is about 300 miles from Jerusalem. It was a very large city. In fact, Antioch was the third largest city in the world in this time. The first largest city was Rome. The second largest city was Alexandria. And the third largest was this town called Antioch. The population at the time was around 250,000 people. They were a very sophisticated society, a very sophisticated culture. Antioch sat in... Uh, where several trade routes came together. So they were multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-religious, a very pluralistic society. And they had their own culture, their own way of doing things. They even had a hippodrome, which was this huge uh, racetrack where they would race horses And surrounding this huge racetrack was an auditorium that could seat 80,000 people. For scale, the Alamo Dome, how many of you have been to the Alamo Dome? Where the Spurs won their 1999 championship, go Spurs. The Alamo Dome seats 72,000 people. This arena in Alexandria, or not Alexandria, in Antioch sat 80,000 people. You have to have some brains, you have to have some smarts to be able to put together a society where 80,000 people can come together to watch a sporting event. We tend to think of people from antiquity, of people from the ancient world as not being very cultured or smart. These were cultured people, they were smart, intelligent people. And so the gospel goes to Antioch. It it begins to spread there. They send Barnabas to go and check it out. Verse 21, it says that the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and he saw the grace of God, He was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. We saw how Saul had been converted, how Christ had appeared to him and saved him and taken him from being a persecutor of the church to being a missionary. And so Barnabas goes now to look for Saul that he can come back and to help with the work in Antioch. And it says, when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. 
So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And so they did, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Here, Luke records for us this prediction by a prophet that there was going to be a great famine that came through the land. Now, a famine is where there's a a huge scale, a large-scale shortage of food, where nobody can find food. There's not enough food for anyone. Famines can be caused by war, inflation, mass-scale crop failure, government policies. We don't know what caused this famine, but when a famine breaks out, there's mass starvation There's mass disease and epidemics and death everywhere, death in the streets when there is famine in the land. Now, a famine is not when you go to Walmart and can't find toilet paper. That's that's not a famine, okay? We're we're talking people are dying because they are starving. And a prophet predicted this, and Luke records for us that it happened in the days of Claudius. Now, as we look at other historical writings from this time, what we see is there actually was a famine that spread through the whole region. In the year AD 46, you can look it up in history books. And can you guess who the emperor was at this time? Claudius, who Luke told us was the emperor. His full name Tiberius, Claudius, Caesar, Augustus, Germanicus. Exactly. (laughs) If any of you are thinking of baby names, uh, that's a good place to start. Not really. Anyway, Claudius ruled Rome from AD 41 to AD 54. And the reason I I point this out to you is I want you to know that the, the history that we're reading about in the book of Acts is validated from other historical sources that we read of the same period, of the same time. These are actual, accurate accounts of what happened in the first century. So, in this text, we have three things that I want to highlight for you, three things that I want to point out for you. And I told you that some of the themes are uh, somewhat uh, continuous themes from week to week. And one of them is what I showed you last week, and that is that God uses His people to spread the gospel. How is the gospel spread? How does the good news about Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and return, how does this message get out to the world? Only one way through his people. Only one way. When the persecution arises, the disciples, they go out, they leave everything they have behind, but one thing they take with them, they take their faith in Jesus Christ. They don't leave their faith behind. They don't leave their faith at home. It, it goes with them. And, and as, it, as they go, it says they go speaking the word and preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, mind you, the people that are, are being scattered at this time, they're not apostles. They're not deacons. They're not pastors. They're not church leaders. They have no plan. They don't know where they're going. They have no structure. They're just ordinary people like you and me. 
They're just normal people full of their own faults, full of their own insecurities, their own baggage that all of us have and carry. They certainly are under distress. They're full of problems. They just left their whole lives behind. They're exiles. They're aliens in a strange and foreign country as they, a few of them sprinkle into Antioch, this great city. Antioch, as we know from history, was actually a very sinful city, a city that was full of idolatry, full of perversion, full of just sinfulness and, and debauchery, the, the kind of living that it, it would boggle our mind. It, it's even beyond imagination what was going on in this city, the depravity. We, we think it's bad in our day. Let me tell you, 2020 doesn't hold a candle to the first century. In, in, in this day and age, it just, it was brutal, it was harsh, sin was everywhere, celebrated, idolatry everywhere, perversion everywhere. It wasn't, it, it was the norm of, of the culture. And if you wanted to stage a protest in the first century, you would be squashed like a bug by Rome. There's, there's a story of a revolt that broke out in 4 BC. And Rome came down so heavy-handed on these protesters that in one day, they crucified 2,000 men in one day. Lined the streets miles long. We think it's bad in our day and age. <laughs> Listen, this is the world that the Christians were in in this day and age. And like you and me, they're ordinary people dealing with the problems of life. But like you and me, they're also filled with extraordinary power. They're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And though Antioch is a wicked city, a city full of sin, a city that doesn't know God. There's no Christians there until this handful of Christians show up. But look at what God does. With this handful of Christians that go out sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus, a revival breaks out in the whole city. The whole city begins to be changed and transformed. A report of the revival, it makes its way all the way back down to Jerusalem, some 300 miles. The apostles hear about this revival that's taking place in Antioch, of all places. News did not travel fast in those days. It wasn't, they didn't send a tweet. Nobody posted it on Facebook. But word spreads about what God is doing in Antioch, and it's because of, of what God was doing in this dark city as these Christians shined the light. You see, you and I are called to shine the light. You and I are, are called a city on a hill. We're not to, to hide our light. We're not to, to be undercover in the middle of the culture. 
They go into the culture shining the light of Jesus. And it says that the hand of the Lord was with them. And this is what you and I are called to do, to spread the gospel today. The second thing I want to point out to you is where we see at the end of verse 26 that it was in Antioch where the, the believers in Jesus, it was in Antioch where they got the name Christian. The name Christian comes from Antioch. Before this time, believers called themselves different things. One of the things that they were called was they called themselves the way. As Jesus himself said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And so they would say that we're living according to the way. But in Antioch, they get a new name. Christians receive a new name, and that is the name Christian. You see, these new believers in Christ, they were living such an unusual life from everybody else in the culture. They were so unique. They were so distinct they did not blend in at all. And so the people of Antioch, the unbelieving people of Antioch, they invented a new word to describe these new kinds of people. You see, the word Christian, it means Christ-like or little Christ. That's what it means literally. Or Christ-follower. And what had happened was as the Christians came together and they began to be saved and to believe upon Jesus and, and what it means to be a disciple and to, to follow Christ. That is, they, they continued to have relationships with people in the town. They would be presented with, with opportunities to do things that Christians, followers of Christ, do not do and, and do not partake in. And so they would say, I'm sorry, I, I can't do that because I follow Christ. I'm sorry, I, as, as much as that sounds like it would be interesting, Christ teaches us this. Or I know that this happened, but I'm called to love and to show grace and mercy because I follow Christ. You see, you and I as Christians, it's, it's our job to follow Jesus. We don't follow the culture. We follow Christ. So it doesn't matter if the culture goes this way or the culture goes that way. We follow Christ. We follow Jesus. And that's what they were doing. And because of that, the, the unbelieving world gave them this title of Christ followers. Now, unfortunately, in our world... The world Christian has been used and abused so much, it doesn't mean hardly anything anymore. When you hear the word Christian, you, you might not think Christ follower. You might think American or someone who grew up in a certain kind of family, but that's not what the name means. Unfortunately, many things are labeled as Christian, it's become a, like a title or even a marketing tool, like a brand or a genre. And so you have t-shirts that are called Christian. 
music that's called Christian, coffee mugs that are called Christian, as if a coffee mug can give its life to Christ and follow Christ. It's, it's been used and abused and, and used so much, it doesn't mean anything in our world anymore. And it's unfortunate because what it originally meant was follower of Christ. It was that the Christians were so distinct that the people of Antioch said, we, we need to come up with a way to, to call these people. What do we call these people that are so unique and so distinct? Now the word has been used so much, it can be applied to almost anything. Anything is, is called Christian today. Many people who, who call themselves Christians, they, they don't follow Christ, have no intention of following him. But we follow Christ. We follow Christ. We don't follow the culture. It's not our job to blend in. There's no such thing as an undercover Christian. We're to be a city on a hill. We're to be lights shining in a dark world. The light of the gospel, Jesus Christ, our only hope, it shines brightest in the dark world. In the dark world of Antioch, Christianity begins to grow, and it begins to grow rapidly to the point where some 300 years later, there's over 100,000 Christians that live in Antioch in the year 300 AD, literally transforming the culture. You see, we don't transform the culture by being undercover Christians. We don't transform culture by hiding our light, trying to fit in, trying to blend in. No, you and I are called to be distinct from the world. We're not called to think like the world, to talk like the world, to, to use the same sort of process and values as the world. Why? Because we follow Christ. What did he teach? How did he live? What did he do? And in that is truly what it means to be a Christian. Every time we hear the word Christian, it should remind us of two things. First, it should remind us what the word actually means, a Christ follower. And we should also remember that the word Christian was originally coined by an unbelieving world because the gospel was transforming their community in such a radical way. The whole city is shaken by this new group of people who come in. The third thing I want to highlight for you today, and it's a question. It's the question of whose kingdom are you building we see that Barnabas is sent from Jerusalem to Antioch to see what was happening. And when Barnabas gets there, it says that he sees the grace of God at work. That though these Christians, it's probably chaos there. There's no leadership. There's no direction. But he sees the grace of God, and so he encourages them to stay steadfast to the Lord. And Barnabas could have set up shop as the leader. 
He could have said, you know what, in Antioch, this is where I'm going to place my roots. This is where I'm going to live a, a life as the leader of this church. I'm going to rename it to Barnabas Ministries International. And I'm just going to ride the wave of what God's doing here. But he doesn't do that. Barnabas realizes that for this church and this community to, to move into the fullness of what God has for them, he needs help. And so he goes and he gets Saul of Tarsus, and he comes and endorses Saul as a, someone to teach the people about Jesus. That though the people had a lot of zeal in their hearts, they had not been taught about Christ. And it's after Saul comes and teaches them for a whole year and instructs them in the word of God and the ways of Christ, it's after that that these believers are labeled Christians. It's after the apostle Paul comes in and, and he begins to teach and they begin to instruct the people in the word of God. But Barnabas was not afraid to have himself eclipsed by Paul. Barnabas wasn't about building his own kingdom. Barnabas wasn't worried about his name, his glory, his renown, his fame. That's not what Barnabas was about. And you and I, too, we must not be so concerned about our own name, but the name of God and the kingdom of God. You see, so often we get so busy in our own lives and, and building our, our own kingdoms. We need to look at, see the example of Barnabas and, and Saul and, and how he went and got Saul and, and he recognized in Saul even a greater gifting than his own. And it's because Barnabas was kingdom-minded. Kingdom-minded. At the end of the passage, we saw that when news of this famine that's going to break out, when, when it comes to the church, what did they decide to do? They say, well, we're going to help. We're going to raise an offering. We're going to send support so that the people, are, the, 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 our brothers and sisters in Christ that are struggling, that they can have some resources, that they can find some relief. And so it says that some who, they, 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 that they each gave according to their own means. That means that those who had a lot gave a lot. That those who had a little gave a little. But they all gave something according to their means to bring relief to these Christians that were suffering because of the famine. And so what we see is that the leadership, Barnabas and Saul, they're kingdom-minded they're not worried about themselves and their own stuff and their own kingdom. And then the church is also kingdom-minded. Not just worried about their own resources and amassing their own wealth, but to give, to bless others. And what I see at Destiny Church is that Destiny Church is also a group of kingdom-minded people. That we're willing, like yesterday, to go and to serve and to give, to bless a, another group of people that aren't ourselves. It's not our, you know, building up there. It's not where you go to church. Many of you have begun to give towards the new campus in Fredericksburg. Why? Because you're a kingdom-minded people. 
Because you're not just worried about your own problems, your own issues, your own stuff. We're worried about the glory of God. To be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And so I want to just say it's just an honor to be a part of such an awesome church that truly is kingdom-minded. Not our own kingdom, but the kingdom of God.